Hello, welcome to Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. Ah, you can feel it in the air, can't you? The excitement, the build-up, the rush to get everything done in time. Now don't fret, I'm not harping on about Christmas already. I'm actually talking about the graduate scheme season. And the question is, are you ready for it? Hundreds of recruiters are offering schemes and the deadlines and the requirements vary from firm to firm. So, to help you prepare, we're dedicating this podcast to anyone after a place. Later in the show, we'll be talking to graduate recruiters from the NHS and BT, plus undergraduate Charlotte Lytton, who is already feeling disillusioned about her chances of getting a place, will talk about her hopes and fears for her career. But first, as ever, we've got a roundup of the news and Ali White and Harriet Minter are here to share their stories. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Um, Harriet, do you want to go first? Top 10 tips for success. So I'm going to talk about the top tips for success, which come from leaders of some of the top graduate recruiters in the UK. And it's part of the Guardian UK 300, which is sort of the top graduate schemes as voted for by graduates. So um, there are some that I agree with and some which I disagree with. So I'm obviously going to give you my opinion because that's the most important. And um, first up is believe in yourself, which is quite a common one. I think we all know that actually, if you don't think you're going to get anywhere, you're probably not. And this is from Jo Taylor, who's head of learning and talent at Channel 4. And she says, most successful people are the same in the office as they are at home. So don't try and be somebody that you're not. And I do agree with that. But I would also say, remember, when you are in an office, it's not your home. So don't put your feet up on the desk and start watching TV or anything like that. Because I'm quite similar in the office as to how I am at home. And sometimes I do have to restrain it a little bit and rein it back. And remember that just because you kind of behave in one way doesn't mean that everyone around you does. And you've got to think about how other people are in the office as well. And then number two, keeping work and life in perspective. That's from Jonathan Evans, who's the Director General of MI5. So if he keeps work and life in perspective, I think the rest of us can as well. (laughs) And then be clear about what you want in a career, which is from Simon Levine at DLA Piper, her big law firm. I do agree with this. Is you know, if you're going for an interview and you're sort of not sure why you're there, that's really going to come across and that's not going to impress employers. However, I've said it before, I'll say it again, don't be afraid to change your mind because things do change and people change and you don't want to be stuck in a job you hate just because you think I've picked this career and now I can't do anything else. Need to hear the meaning behind the words. If you don't listen carefully, you can lose the support of your team, which is why you should attend roadshows, read blogs and have a laugh with your colleagues. That's a lovely idea. That's from Simon Kirby, who is Director of Infrastructure Investment Projects at Network Rail. And I think that's really important that it's not just about what people say, it's how they say it and kind of what their thought process is behind it. Number five, network, network, network. Sarah Fisher, HR Director at Microsoft. I hate networking, but we should all do it. And it is quite important. So get yourself some business cards and get out there. People in leadership roles are very active outside their day-to-day job. Nobody tells them to do it, they do it because it's their natural inclination, whether that means organising a society, playing sport, writing their own book, it doesn't matter. That's from Mike Maddock, Head of Graduate Resourcing at the Royal Bank of Scotland. I think that's really true. I think if you're an interesting person, people are more drawn to you. So the more you're doing outside of your job, the more you have to talk about and think about. Be creative and adaptable, really important. Victor Teta at Bomb Pierce. Be clear and honest. If you not believe me, you'll be found out and it can have a destructive effect on you and the people you work with. That is Air Chief Marshal Sir Steve Dalton, who's Chief of Staff at the Royal Air Force. I think that's so true. If you're in the office, everyone knows when you're lying to them and you know when you're being lied to when you're somebody's trying to schmooze you it's so obvious don't bother always look beyond the deadline 
Now, I have to look very firmly at the deadline in order to meet it. But I think what he's trying to say is try and think kind of once I've done this, what is going to be the long term effect of it? And how can I make sure that when I'm working on a project, it's not just finished. I'm then thinking beyond what can happen after, how I can improve it going forward. And finally, um, understand how we market the business. And that is from Russell Barnes, who is Divisional Director of Midway Developments at Merlin Entertainments. It's really important. If you don't know how your business makes money, if you don't understand why you're doing the things you're doing, you're never going to feel a part of it. And if you can show that you understand those things and that you're thinking about them in your day-to-day role, it's really going to impress your boss. So those are the top 10 tips. Thank you. Um, Okay, I'm going to talk about Up For Hire, which has been BBC Three's programme about youth unemployment and it was quite a big deal when it comes to kind of talking about the graduate situation I mean it's not been on Newsnight or anything so this you know I (laughs) this was a big deal for the careers desk and what the program did was it had four young recruits had two graduates two students so they sort of gone through different qualification routes and they put them through a series of placements and challenges to sort of teach them about the workplace to give them some work experience and to sort of highlight some of the successes and failures that young people might have when they're on work experience and internships I mean it was really interesting to watch they supplemented their their journeys and their experiences with kind of feedback from studio audience um, expert guests so sort of James Kahn went in and you know some celebs were talking about how they got into the workplace as well so it was quite an interesting show but what I thought was more interesting was actually the reaction on social media to up for hire some people were completely outraged at the way that the recruits were portrayed and the situations they were put in and I mean I have to sort of concur that some of the editing picked out some of the fails that they made like for one of the challenges that they did they went to a theme park and a journalism graduate was dressed up as a clown and her job was kind of entertaining everybody which I suppose is demeaning in itself you could argue but she was caught having an ice cream or like an unscheduled ice cream and they sort of approached her and was like you know why why are you eating this ice cream she was like well you know I fancy an ice cream and I was like, <laughs> you know what not to do um, and I think those sort of examples really they're just not showing graduates in a good like it and they're not fair you know it's not graduates aren't sitting around eating ice creams they're out there looking for jobs and I think at some points the show didn't display that but as well as all the kind of opinion like you know grads need to do more grads are doing a good job you need to take the economic conditions into account there was some great advice shared on Twitter from people who are kind of job seeking themselves or have got jobs you know it really got people thinking about graduate unemployment so I've picked out a few of the tips that I thought were really useful to share with you all Lewis Bowen, he tweeted that Up for Hire is a clear sign that young people need some more practical experience throughout education and was calling for more support when you're at uni. Mumpreneurs Club said, I was given some sensible careers advice. You have to make yourself come over as value for money to a company. So I suppose that kind of reflects what Harriet says about understanding what the business does. Someone else said, echoing the education point, they really need to provide kids with more interview skills at school. They might actually stand a chance of getting a job. I'm a tree. If you get your head down and graft, it won't go unnoticed. But if you moan, then don't expect much. And one of the, this was kind of an observation about why graduates are struggling. It's fear of failure that is crippling so many young people. So again, this kind of echoes one of Harriet's tips is that confidence is so important and you do need to believe in yourself. Um, if anybody didn't catch the show, I really recommend you go and have a look on iPlayer. And um, we'll be compiling some of those Twitter tips on the site as well. So I'll send a link. 
Okay, well, I've got a story that might tie in a bit with that if you're considering what career to, you know, aim for. And it's all about the kind of jobs that will always be required. Um, and it made me think, actually, when I was very young, I suppose, my dad always said it was always a good idea to work in a supermarket because people always need food. Like, if there's a recession, you can't stop eating. So, career tip from my dad there. <laughs> but um, the point is an MSN careers piece, and it points out with advancements in technology and science and the impact of globalisation, so comes changes for jobs and occupations. But these jobs, 10 that are picked out, are ones that have the staying power, basically. So start off a doctor because, you know, we always get bumped, bruised and diseased and we'll always need somebody to treat the medical conditions. Um, waste disposal manager. Not sure if that's top of everyone's list, but humans create a lot of waste and the amount won't decrease in the foreseeable future. Teacher, which is good news because I think a lot of people quite fancy being a teacher. There's always going to be a need for education. Mortician. <laughs> people are always going to die. <laughs> Um, construction worker as well because we always need some shelter and I'm afraid tax collector because there's always going to be taxes for the government but I think it's an interesting point you know when you're thinking how secure your job might be and if you're going to train especially with the tuition fees going up you might want to think is there going to be a job for me at the end of it and how long is that kind of opportunity going to last death and taxes only two sure things (laughs) in life (laughs) thanks very much both Now, if you take a wrong career turn after university, how can you get back on track? Dear Julian has some advice for all the lost graduates out there. So our letter today is from someone who uh, did a degree in sociology and then when they left university, like a lot of people now, just leapt at the first job that came along, which was as a recruitment consultant. They've been in this job for four and a half years now, which is like, you know, it's quite a chunky amount of time to be in a, a position. And they feel as if, their life hasn't evolved there and not doing what they want to do and they worry that they've made the wrong turn. I'm really torn with how to answer this because half of me thinks, well, you've got a job, you know, hold on to it because God knows there aren't many of those going around these days. However, I absolutely understand that sort of anxiety that you're not leading the life that you had dreamt that you would lead and that you wish that you were doing something else. I mean, the first challenge really is to be really, really clear about what that other career is. I mean, sociology, like an awful lot of degrees, it's kind of, there's a woolliness around it in some respects in that you could apply that degree to an awful lot of careers. So I think the first thing is to decide what it is about sociology that you really enjoyed, and then examine all of the careers that sort of fit in with those skills, and really focus on sort of finding the thing that's right for you and applying for those jobs. Of course, however, that's much easier said than done. Something that has really inspired me in the last year has been how a lot of people are making their own luck these days. With any recession, obviously things are very tough, but it does force people to make their own destiny. You know, you cannot rely on an employer anymore to give you a fantastic career that you dreamed of, much as this letter is talking about. But the people that I've been really inspired by have been really kind of bloggers, I suppose, from all sorts of different disciplines who have, without employment, kind of gone ahead and just set up their own sites and populated the material that really interests them. And some of them have done incredibly well. I was really interested by this one blogger in particular, for example, who during the London riots became the go-to site for the latest information. I mean, he was beating all of the major news corporations to breaking the kind of big stories. This guy added a million followers in one day, in 24 hours. And I tracked him down afterwards. He's just this kind of like 23, 24-year-old student doing it from a back bedroom in West London. I found that incredibly inspiring because it just proves that a good idea, that talent 
will win. But back to the kind of point of the original letter, you know, you could easily sit down, do nothing and be passive, I suppose, in the experience of life. Or you could really decide what it is that you want to do and just find a way of making it happen. Because even if it doesn't take off straight away, it will just satisfy that itch in you that's making you feel unhappy at the moment. That was Julian Lindley, Creative Director at Bauer. Okay, so let's talk about graduate schemes then. They've always been a popular and competitive route into a graduate career, but given the current job market, we can't blame you all for thinking you've got a better chance of winning an Oscar than getting a place on a scheme. That's certainly how our first guest, Charlotte Lytton's feeling. Charlotte is a third-year English literature and philosophy student at the University of Birmingham who is hoping to get onto a grad scheme when she finishes her degree. She's on the phone now. Hello. Hi. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks for speaking to us today. Just as a way of introducing yourself, can you tell us a little bit about your career plans and goals? You know, what sort of job do you think that you want? Well, I've been working towards going into journalism for a very long time. I'm 20 now, and since I was about 12, I joined a charity press agency. And so that's given me a lot of experience over the past eight or so years in journalism in different types, both reviewing, news, things like that. And so really the aim for me is once I finish university to be able to go into journalism, hopefully print or either newspapers or magazines. And sort of the way I'm hoping to do so is by getting onto a grad scheme. But from what I hear, it's not going to be an easy endeavour. No, I think you're probably right. So have you started looking around for grad scheme jets or have you applied for anything yet? I have started having a look, but it's kind of that awkward balance of not wanting to look for particularly jobs too early Mm. and being overly presumptuous and jumping the gun. With regard to grad schemes, I have had a look at a few things. I've seen that the BBC scheme starts in March, so I would kind of have to wait till the next year of applications as I obviously wouldn't have finished my degree. And I've also had a look at something kind of out of my comfort zone, which was a grad scheme in financial journalism reporting. But I just thought, I'm so keen on grad schemes that I just thought I'd go for it anyway. So I have applied for that. But I'm kind of waiting for the newspapers and those sort of grad schemes to open up because I've not had much luck in finding applications for those yet. Okay, so how did you find the process when you were applying? I think the, I've only fully completed one and I think it was reasonably straightforward. But as I mentioned, it was in financial journalism, which is something I have absolutely no experience <laughs> of. So some of the questions they were asking were things I was just pretty unaware of and had to do a bit of Googling, if I'm perfectly honest, mm. while I was looking up things. So, for example, one of the questions asked, if I could speak to any sort of finance executive in the world, who would it be and what would I ask them? So uh, I had a bit of a Google and um, came up with something I hoped would pass as a reasonable answer. Well, as a journalist, I think that's a perfect way to go about it, doing some research and informing your answer. Is there anything else that you feel you need to do to prepare yourself for when you start applying more regularly for schemes? I think it's, it's quite a hard balance between, you know, obviously... I myself and a lot of my friends have tried sort of for as long as possible to be getting really involved in doing the actual writing as a start for going into journalism. But other than that, I I think it's kind of unclear what exactly employers maybe want. You know, 
because sometimes it seems as though experience doesn't actually count for all that much. Okay, well, stay on the line. I'm going to pose some of those questions to our graduate recruiters who are in the studio now, and we'll bring you in a sec to um, ask some questions. But first, just to welcome, we've got Robert Farache, who looks after the NHS graduate scheme. His job is to recruit emerging talent into the NHS. We're also joined by Hannah Sultan, who's a graduate recruitment manager at BT. Hannah joined BT's graduate scheme a few years ago and she also wrote about her experiences for Guardian Careers via her blog, Getting Onto Graduate Schemes. Hello both and welcome to the studio. Hi there. Hi. Good to have you in. Um, let's talk about what Charlotte said first. I mean, she, she mentioned she wasn't sure what employers were looking for and she wasn't sure that they valued experience. I mean, would you agree with that, Robert? Personally, I would disagree with it from the NHS graduate side. Experience is really key and it's one of the things that we do look for. I'd put a caveat that it's not necessarily paid experience, it's not necessarily NHS experience, but we just we want graduates who have done more than just study, basically. We want people who have gone out into the community, become actively involved, volunteering, part-time work, but they just shown a little bit more of a rounded approach to, to their life in university and it's not just been around study. Okay, Hannah, what about you? What do you think? Do you think it's clear before you start applying what employers expect of you? Um, perhaps not always entirely clear. Regarding the question before, I think I'd agree it's definitely important to have some kind of experience, although I wouldn't always say it's necessary to have the exact kind of relevant industry experience. When we look at graduates, we look at a broad range of things. So, yes, we look at academics, part-time jobs, but it's also about the extra stuff you've done, whether that's extracurricular, leading activities, being involved in societies uh, the fact that you can demonstrate if you've had a regular commitment to something that you've delivered or led on you can use the exact kind of skills that we are looking for leadership skills organizational skills even though they might not be you know um, in the office industry relevant experience and what, what about the element of it being clear what graduates need to do to apply to schemes I think you know obviously when they come to your website or they go through the process they're going to get instructions there but do you think it's a bit of a mystery before you get to that stage I think it probably can be. I remember when I was applying for jobs, sometimes it wasn't always that clear. Um, that is one thing BT have really tried to, to do this time round. We've got quite a lot of information on the website, hints and tips about how to apply, um, a lot of background information on the kind of things we look for, our leadership capabilities, because different companies do look for different things and I think it is quite challenging finding out exactly what they are looking for. I'd echo that exactly. I think we, we've done a lot of work recently around trying to make it not easy, but as clear as possible for, for graduates to apply for our schemes. And we actually road test the information with the new intake so that we make sure we're pitching it at the right level. We're giving out the information that they really need. But I think the key thing is about recognising the differences between each employer and their schemes. And there's no substitute for the research. It's about reading the, the grad site. It's about listening to perhaps blogs like this and, and podcasts like this and, and just picking up the hints and tips because they're out there you just need to read it and be aware of it rather than assume that it's the mm. same for every graduate scheme definitely and I think we try to do that throughout the whole process as well um, at our assessment centres um, we give the candidates quite a lot of information about what to expect about what the exercises will be um, and we also do tell them what they're measured on as well so um, our five leadership capabilities uh, we tell them what we're looking for throughout the day because we always say to the candidates we're not trying to trick them we're not trying to trip them up we want them to do well but it's just um, they need to kind of demonstrate what we're looking for okay so it, like I mentioned earlier it's grad scheme season now so I'm imagining you're both pretty busy what are you up to what's kind of going on behind the scenes 
yes, very busy at the moment. Um, I've been attending quite a lot of careers fairs, so sort of peak season for us. Um, I've been at Durham, uh, UCL this week, um, and we're also starting our assessment centres very soon. Um, we've run a couple of undergrad conversion assessment centres already, and starting some more uh, new applicants from middle of November. So. Just getting everything ready for that, really. We're opening our scheme on the 31st of October, so at the moment it's that last-minute proofreading, and it doesn't matter how many times you proofread something, there's always one typo which (laughs) slips through. So it's (laughs) frantically proofreading all of the documents uh, and testing the ATS and the website to make sure it's as smooth as possible. And it's going back to one of the earlier answers at the stage of testing it on the, the latest intake of graduates that are there, going through the application form and the graduate site for us and giving us feedback about what feels clunky to them or what parts they don't understand, which can sometimes be a bit frustrating. But, you know, they're our target audience, so it's um, reflecting what they think is is right for them. Charlotte? Yeah. Just to bring you in now, have you got any questions for Hannah or Robert? Well, something I would like to ask about the application, I know Hannah mentioned about demonstrating that you have a wide, wide range of experience in different areas, And I was sort of given some advice from somebody that I shouldn't include information about part-time jobs I've held over the past five or six years on my CV because it kind of diminishes the certain experience that's relevant to the sector of jobs I'm applying for. So I wondered if if you thought that was the case and whether people should include things like whether or not they worked in an office or a bar onto a professional CV? That's a good question, actually. I think it definitely depends on a couple of things. It depends what the experience is. Uh, It depends what the job you're applying for is. Um, And it also depends how many part-time jobs you've had. Um, You know, if you've had 10 different part-time jobs doing your um, A-levels, GCSEs and university experience, you definitely don't need to include all of them. And likewise, if you've got some kind of more recent work experience that perhaps is more relevant, where you did get more experience, then that should obviously take priority. I think it's about getting the balance. I mean, there's some part-time jobs where you, you know, you are given the opportunity to demonstrate really important qualities that people look for, um, especially if you've been leading a team or organising events. So be selective. I'd exactly agree with what uh, was just said there. What I'd add would be and I always go back to tailoring it to each application, is to think, I've got these five, six, seven, whatever they are, part-time jobs. What, what what did I get from them? What was really good about them? What was really useful? That's relevant to this job. And then almost have an imaginary ruler in your head. So when you're reading the statement, if you've got something in there which is taking up an awful lot of space on your CV or the application form, which actually adds really little to this application, what, why are you giving it so much space? And it's taken that kind of approach, which I think will really help you, whether it's BT, NHS or whichever grad scheme you apply for. Can you both give us some more insight into what you're looking for in an application? I think the number one thing um, that we always look through throughout the whole process is why you're applying for BT and why you're applying for the programme that you're applying for. So um, if you're applying for the HR stream, you know why specifically HR? What have you done so far in your spare time or your hobbies that's demonstrated your passion for HR? Um, or any other subject for technology you know do you do have you created any iPhone apps in your spare time have you been involved in any societies Uh, we really want to know why you want to come and work for BT um, and I think that's a really really important message to get across and what are you looking for at the NHS Robert? Uh, Almost carbon but just cross out (laughs) BT and the NHS I think we've just recently adopted a strengths approach to our um, uh, selection process and and it really focuses on not just somebody's competency, but also somebody's passion 
and engagement and how much they enjoy doing something. And it just makes such a difference because you can have good people who will do a good job. But if you have a great, if you have a good person who really enjoys the work, they're going to be a better performer. They're going to stay with you longer and they're going to make a real difference, which is what we're after. We're really keen to get a return on our investment mm. with our trainees. It's just so key for us, you know. Money's tight, not just in the public sector, but everywhere. What sort of things would you expect candidates to know about your company? What level of knowledge? I think reasonable knowledge. We do put quite a lot of information out there. I mean, even just on the the main website, we've got a lot of company information. And we've reiterated that on our graduate-specific website. But for me, it's, it's not just about reeling off facts and figures. It's not necessarily about knowing our turnover, our profit. It's about sometimes the bigger picture and what kind of big projects we're involved in um, what volunteer work we do what CSR projects we're involved in and where we're kind of headed as well and and our history so it's not just about where we are at the moment um, it's about where we've been and about where we could possibly go and and how the company is changing and developing research is really key you do have to know the company that you're applying for absolutely I think for us it's we we won't give you a a quiz when you come in who's the current secretary of state (laughs) for the Department of Health, we, we, we don't do those sorts of things. It's, it's about understanding the challenges that we face, but understanding them with a bit more depth and a bit more intelligence than just the NHS needs to save money. What does that mean? What does that mean for the future of the NHS within, within England? What does it mean for the services we provide? And just thinking through what that would mean, somebody in the graduate scheme and the challenges. So if you're working in our finance specialism, what will it mean for you? If you're working in our HR specialism, what will it mean for you? And what you think you could contribute to that and what difference you'd like to see brought about as a result of them? It's about kind of the facts and figures, but putting them in context. So, yes, this is how the business is structured. This is what we're working on. But what does that mean? What could that mean for you if you were a graduate on our programme? How would that impact you? Or or what would you like to change? Or, or what would you do differently? It's all about analysing it and, and putting it in a sort of wider context, I guess. Now, you both talked about the need to tailor your application. So I just want to read this comment to you. This came through in one of our Q&As. So one of our experts said, it's common for applicants to leave the name of the last company they applied for on their CV. Don't let this be you. Now, I just had to ask whether that was something that you encountered a lot. It's not something I've ever encountered directly. I've, I've heard horror stories of it happening um, but it's not something I've seen. As we sort of touched upon before, I think tailoring is, is really, really important. And I know it is challenging when you are filling out so many job applications and some questions can be similar. And I personally think that it, you'd be better off doing one or two job applications excellently, putting loads of time and effort into it, than sort of, you know, knocking out 10 in a day because you can so often tell and... And, and like we were saying, it links to the, having the passion for the company and the enthusiasm. And you need to get that across. And one of the best ways of doing that is by talking about the company, referring to the company. So I say it's very important. Sadly, I've had those applications. <laughs> and I, I think it, we, we, as a graduate recruiter, we appreciate that people are going to apply for other jobs. Um, that's understandable. And that's not a problem. You know, we completely understand that. For me, it goes back to how seriously are they taking the application. So actually, if they're making... Basic errors, such as putting down the wrong name of the company in the application form, how good is their concentration, how good is their attention to detail, you really can tell when somebody's going through the motions. Now, I know that we're at the start of the season and things are about, applications are about to open, but I'm quite keen to hear about if there are any kind of new trends, graduates doing anything um, innovative or kind of creative on their applications to impress you. The only 
trend that we've had, which I, I really probably wouldn't encourage people to do, is um, more parents becoming involved in the application <laughs> process. And I can understand how it's difficult for people and, you know, student debt, etc. It, it's a lot of pressure, but it doesn't help your application if you've got your mum or your dad trying to contact us, ask questions on your behalf. I suppose if I could give one example, which I remember from last year's intake, which was quite not particularly innovative, but it worked really well for them and is a variation of an old one. But the, the person in question actually volunteered uh, and spent the day helping out at their local GP surgery sort of as a receptionist almost just to see what it was really like. So it was really interesting to get somebody who was willing to go that extra mile, if you like. Have you seen anything like that, Hannah? Perhaps not towards the early stages of application, um, but I guess I'm thinking of a few examples at Assessment Centre. It can be quite hit and miss, but um, some people have done some quite interesting things with their presentations. So um, one presentation was comparing BT to the Rugby World Cup, but it works actually. But again, it's, it's kind of one of those risky things. I've got to thank you both. You've given some amazing insights into the application process and some great examples of, you know, success stories that other people can replicate. Um, Charlotte, I hope that you've got some good advice and kind of ideas from from what Hannah and Robert have been saying. Yeah, thank you. It's been really, really helpful and insightful as well. So thank you for that. So we've scoured the Guardian Jobs Board to select the top 10 graduate schemes. Ali and Harriet are going to reveal the chart. Opening the chart at 10, Airbus has places on its direct entry graduate programme. At 9, it's a recruitment company training programme via Harvard Brown. And at 8, Biotics has vacancies for graduates. At 7, it's a graduate trainee recruitment consultant from Montash Associates. Fresh Minds is looking for a training analyst at 6. And it's a trainee consultant from SRS Consulting at 5. While at 4, it's a graduate programme from Unipart Manufacturing. This week's numero 2 is places on TfL's graduate schemes. One from the top at two, it's opportunities on the John Lewis Retail Management Graduate Scheme. And topping the chart this week is HSBC's Executive Management Trainee Programme. And finally, here's what we've got coming up on careers.guardian.co.uk next week. Monday, October 24th is CV and Application Form Clinic. Tuesday, October 25th is what to do with a degree in fashion and Friday, October 28th is our social media surgery. If you want to get Q&A links and future podcasts delivered directly to your inbox, you can now sign up to our weekly newsletter. That brings us to the end of the pod. Thanks to our guests, Charlotte Lytton, Hannah Sultan and Robert Farace. And of course, our pod regulars, Julian Lindley, Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by Sarah Cudden. I'm Kerry Eustace. Goodbye.